Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Bricks brought to you by Kick It Forward and Sporting News. This week on the program, we have a very special guest in Chris Anstey, the three-time NBL champion, the former NBL coach, and also drafted into the NBA in 1997, pick 17, spent some time between Dallas, Chicago, and overall is just really passionate about Australian basketball. We go over a lot of things like Dante Exum's success in the Mavs recently, Australia's hopes in 2024 at the Olympics, and plenty more. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast if you want to hear more interviews over this next period while we have a little bit of break from the main pod for Kick It Forward. But without further ado, here's Chris Anstey. Oh, and also happy holidays. Giorgio and Harry are away. <sighs> Miss them. Enjoy. Chris Anstey, thanks so much for joining us. How are you, Josh? It's uh, good to be on. We finally linked up, but... You, amongst basketball and your coaching and junior coaching, you've got another couple of things in the works. Um, you're rebuilding a pub as well. Uh, how's that going? <laughs> What's that process like? Is it as stressful or, or not as stressful as coaching? Um, where does it stack up? It's probably not stressful. It's yeah, you, you work on other people's schedules a lot. You, you work on a council schedule. You work on a gas compliance or energy safety tour, whoever it is. So, you know, learning all the processes that we have to go through and learning that, you know, something that's, one of the most important things to us as we go through, it's just another number for them. So it's a little bit of that, uh, which is very unlike when you're involved in basketball and everybody that you're surrounded by becomes really, really important. It's a small number of people. So uh, no, it's been, it's been great. Um, but no, I got to the end of COVID or got through COVID and, you know, sort of made the decision to, to get out of coaching, certainly to get out of any sort of playing and then sort of spend more time around the periphery of basketball, I think. And, you know, the one thing I think you learn in basketball, and it's not really until you finish, it's you get so consumed with the people in the inner circle of basketball and you don't quite spend enough time or learn enough about the people just outside it. So the sponsors, the partners, the supporters. So it's been really interesting spending a lot of time with, with those type of people with good business brains and figuring out which ones are those I, I suppose, wanted to take some steps into business with. So is that where you're at right now? How, how removed are you from coaching? Uh, well, well, I bought a team in the New Zealand National Basketball League with with a, with a business partner. So, no, I'm not coaching. Um, my, I've got a really simple philosophy on anyone that I do coach. If they call me and ask for help, and I know them and I like them, then I'm then I'll often say yes. Uh, but no, look, it's I, I just couldn't commit to a team. I, I, I couldn't commit to you know the same time every week or a couple of times a week, and especially with my daughter overseas at UCLA in her senior year, I wanted to be able to, to get over and see her a couple of times, be there on senior night, be there on her graduation. Uh, you know, and I've got a young fella and another son as well. So I just wanted to spend more time, you know, doing the things that interest them more so than tagging them along and having them be a part of the things that interest yeah, me. What's it been like to see your daughter to continue that basketball uh, lineage? And she obviously looks up to you. And now she's over at UCLA, and she's she's played over there for a couple of years now. Uh, it, is it is it more enjoyable watching her play than um, it was playing yourself? Yeah, uh, it's different. I mean, she's my favorite player, and <laughs> you know, we're, we're, it's a little bit different. You know, I suppose I get asked a lot about you know college recruitment and pathways and all that sort of thing. But for for Izzy, it was always you know where was going to give her the best life experience where was going to give her the best education and then basketball became third so you know i think you have to get those other two right to actually make the most of your basketball experience and she had a few injuries um 
little surgery or a reasonable surgery uh, in between seasons. So, yeah, she'll come home, I think, after this season, whether or not she continues to play or not, it's up to her. So, you know, with regard to lineage, that doesn't bother me at all um, when it comes to having a daughter who's re- really well-rounded and mature and grown up a lot from being away. Um, you know, whatever he does when she lands, can't wait to share that with her. Same as the other two, of course. When you look back at how old you were with the Melbourne Tigers um, joining that team, uh, and then compare it to you know your daughter's ages and your son's ages now. Um, what what is it like to think about your time going into basketball or professional basketball? You know, at such a young age. It's interesting. You know, I you know got drafted at twenty two, so Izzy's now twenty two, and I'd been playing professionally for four years, so or three and a half years. So, um, I, the, probably the interesting part is I think when you speak to your kids, I you know figured this out a while ago is that you tend to speak to them like they're a younger version of themselves because they're still your children. But then when you're around your mates or your kids are around other people and you sort of jump in on a conversation, they they treat them like adults. And I, I think the thing is when when I look back and realise what I was doing at Izzy's age, you know she's an adult and she makes great choices. I don't need to be there to give her or to make choices for her. Um, but I'll support any of the any of the choices she makes. So again, you know, she's got career decisions coming up, um, as Ethan, my son, does as well. But you know, I don't remembered how how mature I thought I was at this age, and probably through Izzy and Ethan, realised that I was probably a lot further off than what I thought. But also understanding that, you know, that they'll figure it out. I, I won't let them fall too far, but I'll let them fall a little bit if they if they make poor choices. You're, you were drafted by the Dallas Mavericks and that period ended up only being uh, two years. Where does it stick for you in your playing career? Because you played all over the world. You play, we came back and were so successful in the NBL. Where does that moment, where does it rank for you? It, it's hard. It's, a, it's you know, it's, it's interesting. There, there are a few different conversations where always, I love the term comparisons, the thief of joy. Um, yeah. So it, it's hard to compare the NBA to Russia or, yeah, they're just so different after playing back at home, but it, it was hectic. It, it was it was out of control. You know, I was brand new to the game and I've been thrown into this environment surrounded by the best athletes and basketball players in the world and trying to figure out if I was any good. Um, yeah, I probably wish I had a, a slightly more mature head on my shoulders when I got there. Um, it was sort of, you know, thrown in the deep end and trying to swim, I suppose. And, you know, I was really proud of the way I got there. No one had ever done that before. And there's always something special about doing something for the first time and, and proving to others that it's possible. And, you know, you see the Next Stars program these days and how many Aussies are getting drafted straight from the NBL to the NBA. And that wasn't done back then. So I'm glad that I was a part of that. Um, no, really enjoyable. And looking back, I learned plenty. We grew up a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, wasn't quite good enough to stick and get that second contract. Are you a Dallas fan now? Continually, do you, are they the team you watch? Or you just watch players. I am. If I had to pick a team, it's Dallas. Um, you know, Dirk was there for for twenty one years, and we remain good mates. And so I always followed his journey. But yeah, not quite as much now. But the Mavericks have been as close to a collegiate environment as what I would expect a collegiate environment to be, where they look after past players and coaches. Every time I've gone back to Dallas, they've really, really welcomed me, which they had no need to do. You know, I was only there for a couple of seasons, but they've been incredible. So, yeah, I do follow the Mavericks if I had to pick a team, and, and especially when there are a couple of Aussies on, it makes it a lot easier. But, 
I do enjoy following the Aussies. I enjoy following those really unique, special players like Steph and Janice and, and those sort of guys and probably allow myself a, a bit more these days to be a fan, um, take my coaching hat off, take my playing hat off and sit there and enjoy it. In, in all the sort of historic pages about your playing career, it talks about how you were a really serious tennis player and you played doubles with Mark Philippoussis. Um, so how, were you playing basketball sort of at, at a lower level during this period to get those skills or were you just really, really in on tennis? Like, how, can you talk, because it's so common in Victoria for uh, young athletes, whether it's AFL and basketball or tennis and basketball, where they at some point have to choose a sport. What, what's the truth behind your junior sort of sporting uh, career? Yeah, yeah, I'd never played doubles with Mark. I played against Mark a lot. You know, I played with Dustin Fletcher. He went on to have a really successful you know, footy career, of course, playing tennis until he was 15 or 16. And no, I'd never touched a basketball, never played a game. Um, I filled in for my younger brother's men's C grade team when I was in year 11. Um, wow. Yeah, story, I, if, if this was a TED talk or something a little bit different, you know, one of the parents on a court, two courts down, was a coach of the Melbourne Tigers Junior Basketball Club and saw a tall, skinny kid who could move okay that he'd never seen before, clearly. And you know, took the time to connect or find out how to get in contact with me. And um, I was eventually convinced to go down and, and try out for the Melbourne Tigers under-18 top-age team who was already one of the best junior clubs in the nation. And their coach, Des Middleton, was as good a coach as I've ever had um, insofar as he treated everyone equally. He taught the game well. Uh, he didn't care where we came from. He, every Everybody was just... Yeah, it was somewhere you wanted to turn up to as a great team. And and probably without Dez and without that team, I wouldn't have had any interest in staying in basketball. And it's interesting. I think easy to go back to her a little bit. I think we're a little bit similar in that I I never grew up loving basketball and maybe even the first three or four years, I didn't love the sport. I could have played any sport. And I don't mean I could have been good enough to play, but I would have happily played any sport. But I grew to love the people. And the more I got to know the people and, and love the people, I got to love the sport. So I probably enjoy basketball now, but more now than even when I did when I started and when I was playing in those early years because of the lifelong friendships I've had or made through it, the people I continue to be involved with. And, you know, the the, the other ways I, I remain involved in the sport now. So, um, no, that, that, that was true. I never played. I can't stand when people talk about pathways, whether it's basketball Australia, basketball Victoria, that you've got to play, be on this state team and you've got to be on a rep team. You've got to do this. And you've got to do that. It's rubbish. Um, you know, habits and behaviours, it always was for me. Um, jump on any pathway you like at any time if your habits and behaviours are right. You've always struck me as a very disciplined player um, and you talk about the habits and behaviours. Was that from the tennis background? Was that from your... Your family, where did where did that come from? No, you'd probably say I wasn't that disciplined. A tennis player I was a bit erratic and had a pretty good temper on me. Um, you know, even with the Tigers, I was really, you know, as a junior, I was pretty emotional. Um, you know, I, th- I think the work rate probably came from my three years at the Magic with, with Brian Gorge and driving and, you know, growing up with guys like Mike Kelly and Tony Robinson, John Dorge. You know, then my own age, Sammy McKinnon, Jason Smith, Frankie Drimmick, and being on this path to figuring out what we're capable of and, you know, if it's good enough for everybody else, it had to be good enough for me. And I'd never worked that hard. I'd never been that disciplined. But, you know, I, I guess people tend to forget, you know, a lot of young players these days, they, they won't play many minutes, so they'll go somewhere else or they think the coach doesn't like them, so they'll go somewhere else. And 
it's always someone else's fault. You know, my my first year of the Tigers, although I left, I didn't leave because I wasn't playing. I left because I saw how hard the Magic trained. And even my first, yeah, I played three years, three minutes a game that first year. And my first year at the Magic, even after switching clubs, I only played five minutes a game. So I really didn't play, well, I didn't play double figure minutes a game until my third year in the NBL. And even that itself took discipline and, you know, belief and, that I was heading in the right path and I was in the right place and I wasn't going to go somewhere for a quick fix. I wanted to do this in a sustainable way. And I don't think many people have the patience to invest in themselves for that long. They just want short-term results and rewards. And that was something I wasn't chasing. So you're 18, you moved to the Magic and you're playing three minutes a game and two years later, you're drafted to the NBA. Were you in a flow state? Would you just feel like everything was clicking? Were you understanding the game far better than you thought you would have previously? No, not really. I... You know, I, I, you know, it was instilled in me and I still believe it today that sort of team success comes before individual success. All we were worried about was winning a championship. We we never believed we had the most talented team, but we had the hardest working. Um, so, so no, I, I, I never really felt like I was in a flow state. I mean, you learn that term later, but it's, it's a really interesting one to look at in retrospect once you've been in it, but it's really hard to get in it or plan to get into it. But I think, you know, for me, what that is, it's just understanding that the days, weeks, months, years of hard work you put in when game time rolls around, you know, you trust your training and you trust your habits. And, you know, so many players I hear ask, you know, how do you become confident? Or, you know, what, what am I, what's your game day preparation? So I don't care. Whatever I feel like, because it's, if I'm so, if I need my game day routine to, to compete and be at my best, the last nine months or two years was a waste of time. So I didn't have a pregame meal routine. I didn't have a sleep routine, whatever I felt like. Sometimes I'd go out, sometimes I'd see family, sometimes I'd sleep. But, you know, when I got to the stadium, that was where I started getting into, into my game day routine, but even shooting before a game. Some days my shot felt great, so I'd be on the, on the warm-up court for five minutes and that'd do. Other times it felt terrible. I was on there for an hour. So I like sayings. Um, one of my favourite sayings was under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion, you revert to habit. And I always thought that I was proudest of some of the, the, the good games I had in championship series towards the end of my career and games that mattered, you know, even the world championships uh, as an under 23 earlier on that, you know, I just did what I did. It didn't matter if it was on a, in a world championship or at a training session. Just for the record, it says on your Wikipedia, um, you were regularly played doubles with Mark Philippoussis. So uh, I'm just... Yeah, somebody, <laughs> might, somebody, somebody might have to change that. I don't, I don't, maybe I played a game or two with no, Mark. No, but they talk crap on no, this. No, no, we certainly, certainly didn't play doubles <laughs> with him. But uh, no, he's, he's a good mate though, Mark. This episode of the Kicker Ford Podcast is barely brought to you by our mates at Ned's Harry. Round oh. 10. Round 10. You know, is round 10 like, um, I can't believe it's already round 10. Kind of like, oh, it's May already. Christmas already. Yeah, check your calendar. <laughs> Huge round this round because it's round around. <laughs> well, last week was friends round. Yes. Because of that followed rivalry round. Yes. This is just normal round. No, it's round round. Round, round. It's circular. We have Freeman on taking on St. Kilda. That's the barn burner of the round. Um, an easy one. Uh, Freeman aren't favourites. That's weird. No, no. You don't specify. Just, just uh, that'll be an easy one. That covers both teams. That'll be an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> but the big one is on Sunday. Port Adelaide versus the Inform Hawk. We're a happy team at Port. 
Port Adelaide weirdly just dominating Geelong, taking on the Hawks, who have strung together a couple wins. $1.15 Port Adelaide head in, $5.40 for Hawthorne. Do you know Willie Rioli, you know, despite all the drug saga or whatever in, in at West Coast, he's leading all goal kickers at power. Dude, that feels like it was so long ago. That whole thing that happened. Good on him. Redemption. Yeah, redemption song. Redemption. Appropriate singer, that one. Oh, maybe get around him for a first goal scorer. Eight goals. Eight goals. <laughs> yeah. Eight goals. Yeah, yeah sure. First Go goal scorer. I think he's like 13 bucks or something. If you're interested in that and more, head to the Neds app to see the massive range of AFL markets on every single game this weekend. T's and C's apply. Prices subject to change. You win some, you lose more. For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. So we're moving to time in Russia, and I just want to bring that back to Dante Exum. He's gone away, gone to Europe, and he's clearly improved his shot and improved his approach to the game. And this year we're seeing maybe the fruits of that with the Dallas Mavericks. What, how did you, from the outside in, what do you see from Dante this year with Dallas? And can you relate it all to going away improving and and in other ways in your life maybe and then how that could potentially impact you on court yeah i think people tend to forget dante was a six pick in the draft and you mentioned it you mentioned it briefly that the biggest thing for dante and i think whether it was europe or whether he'd come home it was proving that his body was right to to withstand an nba season and i think it took what you go for a couple of years two or three years and uh, over time he proved that his body could withstand a professional basketball season. I think that was first and foremost. Um, the one thing when you do go to Europe, when I went to Russia, when Dante went to Spain, they really take away your support system. You only depend on yourself. They, they don't have, they don't provide the, the level of care that we do here in Australia, the level of care they do in the NBA. So it's up to you to make sure you have it to good. Um, so for Dante, you know, to, to come back and be as prepared as what he, maybe even more prepared than what he was when he get when he got drafted, and to see him make the most of it, um, it's really really pleasing. But he, he's done it really really hard, and I think that out of everything, and I don't know Dante well, but I would imagine he wouldn't take anything for granted. I'd imagine he'd probably be a lot more appreciative of the opportunity he's got the second time around, maybe than the first. And I can only imagine he's matured on and off the court. And you know, even for me, I. When I came back, I would have loved to have. I, I nearly had another shot at the NBA after my first year back at the Tigers. I'd, I'd come back and we'd won the championship. I'd won a couple of awards and I went across and tried out with a few teams and had a really good workout with the Washington Wizards. And I knew I was a I was a 10-time better player then than what I was when I got drafted. And um, the Wizards had committed to to signing me as a free agent if they drafted a guard, but they were there was another big kid that they were looking at as well from the Ukraine. Um, and, and so I'm sitting there watching the NBA draft, just begging for this other kid, the, the Ukrainian big, to get drafted before the Washington Wizards pick, and he hadn't been, and they was their pick, and they drafted him, and I was gutted, you know. If you had a read his scouting report, you might as well have been able to put my name and his scout was exactly <laughs> the same thing. So I was, I was really, really close to, to going back and I would have loved that opportunity. But sometimes, you know, especially back then when you're out of the NBA and without the level of global impact, I think, with the players in the NBA back then is what, what it is today. I think once you're out, you're out. And that was certainly the case for me as much as I thought I could have played in it and done even better the second time around. Did you feel that was the peak of your powers back in Melbourne, playing so well, scoring so well, and winning? 
Um, probably thought I played better in Russia, to be honest. Um, just that nobody saw it. You know, we we won a European championship. You know, it was the first European championship any Russian sporting team had ever won since it had been accepted into the EU, um, which was a massive deal. And, you know, even individually, you know, winning a, a FIBA Euro League MVP and, and that kind of thing, I was playing really, really well. Um Certainly so much I knew that when I came back to Melbourne, uh, I was going to be okay. I, I knew what I was doing, but the thing was no one else in Australia knew. Um, the last they'd seen me was, you know, a couple of years of the Victoria Titans. And, you know, I'd grown up a lot. My game had developed a lot. My, my, my you know, my perimeter game, my, my jump shot had really, really improved. That That's one thing over there. They just shoot the if you can't shoot the ball, you just don't play. And so I went from being an okay shooter to, a, in my mind, a, a pretty good one. And that became a bit of a point of difference. So by the time I got back to the NBL, and you know, it's, it's funny, we still have a bit of a, a laugh about it. You know, I came back to a Melbourne Tigers team that, you know, Gaze, Copeland, Bradkey, Lindy Gaze had left. And we were told we were rebuilding um, and we won the championship in our first rebuilding year. And, you know, then went and made the next three championship series. But, you know, that was that was as much fun as I've had playing basketball. Whether or not I was at the peak of my powers, I don't know. You know, everybody says the NBL is the second best league in the world. It's not. It's the second most desirable. Uh, it's a very good league, but, you know, the, the way it's officiated, and you know, you should be able to come in if you've played around the world and be able to have really successful seasons uh, if you can adjust to the refereeing. But to be able to do what I to be able to do what I did best, and that was play basketball at the time, in front of family and friends, and share that with them, and in front of my kids, um, without them being away. I, th- I think that was the part that made you know those last five years really special. Well, I, I really liked your essay during COVID about isolation from your time in Russia, uh, about going over there and meeting and sort of adjusting and showing your resilience um, through that period. So I can under, I, I, based on that, I can understand coming back to Melbourne, a place you know so well, and then winning and, and playing well, it must have been extremely, extremely enjoyable. Can you just touch on the Russian thing, though? If you're there putting up shots uh, and there's this USSR mentality what what was how did you gain like the trust of these these players when you're coming in there as an outsider i I didn't care um i think one of the most powerful things for an athlete or or a human is to not care about what other people think you know care about what you're doing but don't care about people's opinions and for me i didn't care you know it was win-win for me either i was very successful or i wasn't i got sent home And and i think there was there was strength in that but you know, for me, um, yeah, that that level of boredom and isolation, it, it was quite literally you get up in the dark, you go and train for two and a half hours, you come home and you've got a window of a few hours, you drive to training and then by the time you're done, it's dark again. And so quite literally, it'd be weeks where you'd sit at home with a bottle of vodka and a teammate and you just, that's all, there's no English television. I was sick of watching 24 um, so you pass time and, and, and you, yeah, I reckon I was, my family at the time had come and gone. I was sitting there and you know, it was, was January of minus 45 degrees outside. And I knew I had five months of this ahead of me and by myself. And, and you know, I probably went through a stage where I was feeling sorry for myself and just sitting up all night, looking at ceilings, that sort of thing. And so it was, it was just boring. 
um, you sort of got to a stage where it was like, all right, well, no one's coming in to help. I, this has got to be me. So, I, you know, I started studying. I started sort of investing in myself in areas outside of basketball. And, you know, the basketball took care of itself after that. But it was actually quite funny. I, I, for some dumb reason, I'd grown this beard because they hadn't paid me that month. And they said it was unprofessional not to shave. So I said, you need to go and shave. So I shaved my head and had this full beard for about three days and I got paid. <laughs> um, there's one or two photos floating around of me with this really big beard and a shaved head, which I still chuckle at. But, you know, when COVID hit, it, at the time, I always felt a little bit guilty, you know, telling people I love COVID. You know, everybody, or most, not everybody, most people complain about And I know people struggle, really, and that's why I'm hesitant. But, you know, a lot of people complain about not having enough time. And with all of this shit through COVID, one thing it did was it gifted us time to spend with our families, to spend with those close to us. Um, and we didn't know what to do with our time. We, we complained about having too much time. So, you know, for me, I you mentioned the essay. I, I started writing. I started learning to cook. I said, yeah, every day I had to do something that I'd never done before. And it was something I, I picked up in Russia. Um, I wanted to come out of COVID better than when I went into it. Um, when everybody else was doing nothing, I wanted to, I wanted to be doing lots. So next year's the Paris Olympics. Um, you obviously love Australian basketball. I love international basketball. How do you think we're stacking up? It was a disappointing World Cup based on our probably talent level, but that's not diminishing the the efforts of the international teams like Germany that did so well. About where that World Cup was. Um, and it was interesting before the tournament. I think people tend to forget how hard it is to win a medal. And when we won the bronze in Tokyo, I think, there was an expectation from maybe the less educated basketball fans that we'd, we'd go on and take another step. But even as you look at, you know, I do a podcast with Mark Worthington and his observations really, really interesting is that we're one nation in the world, although we have a lot of NBA players, we don't have anyone on our team that's the man on their team. Um, the NBA guys, we've got are all role players. Um, so we're going to enter the next Olympic Games with a lot of our key guys who haven't played many minutes at all, who haven't played leading roles within their team and will have to be, or we asked to within the boomers. And one thing about international basketball, we get really, really, you know, we fo our focus stays inward and we forget how much the rest of the world's improving. You've still got to beat the USA. You've still got to beat Canada. You've still got to beat Germany. You've still got to beat the, the South American and European powerhouses. They've all got strong representation uh, in the NBA. But you look, you know, Slovenia's got Doncic, um, you know, Nikola Jokic and, and these guys at Serbia, you know, even on top-end talent alone, it's a massive achievement just to make the quarterfinals, let alone the semifinals. Um, I think basketball or Australian basketball fans need to get their head around the fact that we can still play very, very well and not medal or, or make the medal rounds. Or, you know, we could go and win a medal, but we sit there with another seven or eight teams. We could just as easily miss the quarterfinals as we could win a medal. And it's, it really is that even. It felt like there was a, a clash of generations. There was the older guard in, in Paddy Mills and Joe Ingles um, and sort of reverting back to their, their normal style of taking over versus a younger crop like Josh Giddy, who loves to have the ball in his hand as well. Where do you think Gorchin goes next year? Is it a, a Giddy-led um, offense? Uh, and does Paddy have to take a secondary role? Or how, how do you think you navigate this sort of transition now that there are 
uh, there is a plethora of young talent coming through. And well, Giddy's a point guard, and you know, as Paddy gets to the end of his career, probably more effective playing off the ball and playing as a primary scorer. Um, so it might look like that. You know, even in that, the one thing we don't have many of are point guards. You know, it'll be, you know, Dyson Daniels isn't a point guard. Josh Green's not a point guard. It'll be really, really interesting with the strong season Matthew Dallavidova's had as to whether or not they reconsider him as a backup point guard because unequivocally he is a point guard. Um, you know, if Ben Simmons's body is right, it'll be interesting to see if he's considered or selected. But, you know, our, you know, our bookends, our, our point guards, we don't have much depth. Um, we don't have any genuine bigs. And when I say genuine, Jock Landale's, what, 6'10", 6'11", he's our only genuine big. And internationally, he's probably either an undersized five or he's a four. We, we don't have the guys to compete against France, um, you know, Gobert, Wimbanyama, Jokic, these guys. So just in that alone, you can see the challenges we've got, the challenges in selection, the challenges in role allocation. Um, I don't envy Gorgian, let's put it that way. Uh, Jock Landau and Dwight Breath are the two sort of uh, centres that they'd probably look at, but they're, again, four, five stretch bigs as well, and then the international play, they'd probably be a bit undersized. Is that the biggest uh, issue you think that we don't have a guy like Bogut or you, or Baines uh, in this crop? Yeah, one of these, that, that and the point guard spot. Um, you know, as you look through the roster, we don't have a lot of guys who can create their own shot. Um, you know, Paddy can, Joe can. Uh, sorry, sorry, Paddy can, Josh can. You know, even guys like Josh Green and they need some space. They're not breakdown guys. So end of a shot clock, put the ball in someone's hand and say, go get me a bucket. We, we don't really have much of that compared to what we'll be going against. You know, tied ball game with a couple of minutes to go and Slovenia have got Doncic and we've got whoever we've got, you know, all of a sudden Slovenia is feeling pretty good. Um, and you could probably go through that with a number of nations. So it has to be done by committee. Um, we have to be different in the way we play because if we play a similar style of game to those teams that are bigger or have more individual talent, it's, it's going to be harder again. But just quickly on the NBA before we wrap up, uh, what have you liked this year in the NBA? Who have you who have you been watching? Um, what's excited you? Uh, yeah, what I've I've really liked the Orlando Magic and their youth movement. You know, led by one of my old teammates, Jamal Mosley. Um, I'm not a big Minnesota Timberwolves fan, but what I do love is that they copped so much criticism for the team they put together last year when they traded for Rudy Gobert and they went big and they wanted to be different and it didn't work last year while they were figuring it out, but in some people's minds, they're the best team in the NBA right now. So for them to stick fat with the roster they put together and believe in their decisions, I think it has been really, really interesting. And just the ascension and the roster build of, OKC, I think that's been incredible. Um, there are a lot of teams who I think one of the things I do love is that there isn't there isn't a standout favorite. You could list off probably eight teams that if we got to the end of the NBA playoffs and said they're crowned NBA champion, you can you can kind of see it now already. There's not that standout like we had with the Warriors for a while. So it'll be interesting to see what trades teams make. Um especially, you know, one of the interesting ones might be if Josh Giddy ends up getting traded away from the Thunder so that they can take a step to win a championship in their mind. You know, that, that'll that be a watch this space. And 
um, it's just a really interesting league at the moment. Um, you can get good pretty quickly, as we've seen with the Thunder. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris Anstey. That was awesome to sort of go through all the happenings in Aussie basketball right now. Check out Has Been Hopes if you want to listen to more of Chris and also look out for his pub very soon. Yeah.